We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 333 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, June 10th, 2022. The weekend is just about here. I think that we could all use the weekend off the last few days. Of course, if you're a Commanders fan and you have endured all that we have endured as Commanders fans over the years, then you're in need of like a 400-day weekend. You have earned a 400-day weekend with everything that we as fans of the team have had to put up with over the years. Uh, Jack Del Rio is still defensive coordinator of the Commanders. Uh, I do believe that Jack should still be defensive coordinator of the Commanders. I didn't love the dust-up comment, okay? What happened on January 6, 2021 should have never happened. All right, let's make that crystal clear. But uh, I don't like this idea of just fire him and get rid of him. But hey, uh, just because I think that he should still be defensive coordinator of the Commanders, that doesn't mean that he will continue to be defensive coordinator of the Commanders. Uh, Derek Johnson the president of the NAACP, uh, he on Thursday released a statement calling for Jack to, quote, resign or be terminated, end quote. So who knows where the Jack Del Rio saga is going to wind up. In the meantime, uh, coming up in just a bit, I will talk about some football stuff. Yes, football stuff that Jack said on Wednesday morning during his now infamous dust-up post-OTA practice press conference. Now, if Jack resigns or is terminated before that segment, uh, then I'll scrap the segment, okay? But if Jack doesn't resign or get terminated before that segment, then I will do the segment. Uh, I think that the segment is going to be pretty good. So, Jack, if you're going to resign, please wait until after the segment. Thank you. Uh, But among the items that I want to get into is the rise of a certain commander's corner. The rise of Benjamin St. Juice as the top candidate to be the commander's top nickel corner this coming season. Uh, This is a significant and a notable and a surprising development. Now look, nothing is set in stone, 
But Jack on Wednesday morning talked up St. Juice quite a bit. The position of corner matters like never before in today's pass-happy NFL. So this is a big deal. Is Benjamin St. Juice up to the task of being the commander's number one nickel corner this coming season? Uh, I'll discuss that. The commanders having added very little to their defense this offseason. And more off again, the actual football comments from Jack Del Rio. Uh, All of this is coming up in a bit. But before that, uh, next segment, the latest in the Commander Stadium saga. Thursday was not a good day for the Commanders in their stadium saga. Uh, Washington, D.C., done. Virginia, done. At least for now. These things can always change. But boy, at this moment in time, it sure seems like Maryland or bust for the Commander's next stadium, unless, unless Dan Snyder does what I think that he should do. I shall explain. Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals as we on Thursday night for the first time in more than 12 months had Strasmus, a Steven Strasburg Major League start. The 2022 Major League debut of Steven Strasburg happened on Thursday night Uh, The results were not good, okay? Seven runs in four and two-thirds innings, a 7-4 Nats loss at the Miami Marlins to complete a three-game sweep. However, there actually (laughs) were some positives, believe it or not. I'll give you in-depth analysis of the season debut of Steven Strasburg. Thursday, by the way, was the 13-year anniversary of the Nats taking Strasburg with the number one pick in the 2009 MLB Draft. Uh, And I will talk Orioles. Now, they too lost on Thursday night, a 7-5 loss at the Kansas City Royals. But what matters the most with the O's right now is complete dysfunction in ownership. Luis Angelos on Thursday sued his brother, John Angelos, and mother, Georgia Angelos. There is some mess. There is some drama. In Orioles ownership right now, I tell you, the Angelos family cannot sell the Orioles soon enough. Uh, This is some situation here with the Angelos family. I'll give you the details later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I received a lot of good feedback on my segment on Thursday's show, episode 332 on Jack Del Rio's politics becoming a major story. I appreciate all of the nice words very much. Tweet from Luis. Agreed with your take on Del Rio. Everyone is entitled to their point of view. Tweet from Rob Bailey. Al, congrats on being top 25. Uh, Yes, thank you, Rob. Uh, This podcast was top 25 in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category this week. Uh, continues, Rob, I listen every day. You handled the dust-up in a classy, even-handed manner. I have strong political views. I come to your show and sports in general to escape that mess. Washington doesn't need this. By the way, I'm conservative, but definitely <laughs> never watch Fox. Uh, thank you for that, Rob. Yeah, you see, Rob is exactly the kind of person who I was talking about on Thursday's show. Not everyone fits into a nice, simple little box when it comes to politics. There's nuance and complexity to most people's views on politics. And to just assume now that Jack Del Rio is a terrible person without knowing exactly what he thinks 
about January 6, 2021 and the summer of 2020 to me is unfair. Now, look, maybe Jack Del Rio is a terrible person. Maybe Jack Del Rio is a bad, ignorant person, okay? That possibility exists, okay? I am open to that possibility. But you know what? Maybe he isn't a horrible person. Maybe he said a dumb thing in calling January 6, 2021 a dust-up, but maybe he also is just against violence, period. Maybe he's against the rioting and the looting in the summer of 2020, and he's against the violence on January 6, 2021. We don't know. And I'm not a fan of so many people just assuming that they do know. Uh, Tweet from Keith. Wow, I didn't realize the media session went down the way it did. Jack answered the initial questions and wanted to discuss football, but seems the reporters were only interested in trapping him into a soundbite that could be used later. That's really bad. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Keith. Look, reporters have jobs to do. I mean, was there an attempt to bait Jack Del Rio into saying something inflammatory? Maybe to a degree. I mean, I think that it is pretty clear that most, if not all, of the reporters who asked Jack questions about his tweets don't agree with his tweets and thus saw the tweets as being really bad. But as an NFL defensive coordinator and as a former NFL head coach and as a former NFL linebacker, as Jack Del Rio is, he had to know what he was getting into in putting those tweets out there and then doing this post-OT practice press conference on Wednesday morning. You know, I mean, Jack's a big boy. He knew what he was getting into, or at least he should have known what he was getting into when he put those tweets out there. A tweet from Brett Williams Despite Jack's assurance, can we know his views aren't part of the poor performance of the defense? Do we know players are fine with his stances and beliefs? Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Brett. No, we don't know. Uh, We don't know. Um, You know, we don't even know necessarily that Jack and his players disagree on things. There's a lot here that we don't know. Email from Jeffrey of our conversation on Wednesday's show, episode 331, on a potential nickname for Carson Wentz, a.k.a. Commander Carson, writes Jeffrey, to add on to Brent from Northeast DC's email regarding a nickname for Carson Wentz, the best nickname for Carson Wentz is short, sweet, and classic Carson Effin Wentz. Heavy emphasis on the Effin. That is what I plan to be yelling in the faces of my wife's family who are scattered throughout Philadelphia instead of what I may be forced to think in my head when considering the move that Ron Rivera made to acquire Carson if the move doesn't work out. It is either going to be, take that, haters, it's the Carson F. and Wentz show, and you're invited, or, damn, Ron, Carson F. and Wentz. Really? So, Carson, what is it going to be? Love the podcast and love the fun it brings to following the team in the summer. Well, thank you very much for that email, Jeffrey. So would Carson Wentz have to get Jimmy Moreland's permission for the nickname Carson and Wentz? Because remember, one of Jimmy Moreland's nicknames was slash is Jimmy Effin Moreland. Uh, the other Jimmy Moreland nickname was slash is the People's Corner. And it's funny that Jeffrey mentioned Philadelphia because Jimmy Moreland now is on the Eagles. Uh, But yeah, Carson Wentz is what you call a high-variance quarterback, Uh, not unlike Taylor Heineke, not unlike Ryan Fitzpatrick. When Carson is good, he can be great, and when Carson is bad, he can be hideous. What we need this coming season uh, is for Commander Carson to be consistent, Carson, consistently great. Uh, That would be nice. Well, there's nothing nice about being done wrong. And if you have been done wrong, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace 
is there for you. Consider Paulson and Nace to be like 2017 Carson Wentz, a model of excellence. And so if you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, as is always the case, I do appreciate you listening to this podcast. Uh, If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. Uh, You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review certainly does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast, but the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful. Uh, and they are very much appreciated. Thank you for doing them. Well, not to get too philosophical here, but sometimes in life, there's something that you should do, but for whatever reason are reluctant to do, and then circumstances become such that they leave you no choice but to do that something that you should do. And I feel like this is exactly what is happening with the Commander Stadium situation right now. I, on episode 326 of this podcast, talked about how more and more it seems to me that the commanders should just walk away from the stadium search for a while, just put it off to the side and restart the search in, say, a year or two when things might be better for the team. You know, the team might be winning. Uh, The team's home attendance might be better. The team's local television ratings might be better the team might no longer be under congressional investigation, you know? Uh, Because right now, there just is so little momentum for a new Commander Stadium in Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. One thing that the commanders do have working in their favor in this stadium situation is that they own their current stadium. 
the oh-so-lovely FedEx Field. So it's not like the commanders have to be out of FedEx Field when the lease for FedEx Field expires in September 2027. The commanders can play at FedEx Field for, say, another year or two beyond the expiration of the lease if doing so means getting this new stadium right. And that, of course, is of extreme importance, getting the new stadium right, unlike the current stadium, which was not done right. Well, we on Thursday morning had a double whammy of bad news regarding the Commander Stadium search as it pertains to both Washington, D.C. and Virginia. Uh, we'll start with D.C., which is where so many fans of the team have always wanted the next stadium to be and is where the Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, has wanted the stadium to be, at least according to the Washington Post, which in February 2019 reported that Dan's first choice of location for his new stadium was the RFK Stadium site in D.C. So the Washington Post on May 31st reported that, according to Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton of Washington, D.C., a disagreement between D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and Phil Mendelson, who is the chairman of the Council of the District of Columbia, had, quote, for months prevented the introduction of a bill in Congress that would allow the city to buy and develop the abandoned RFK Stadium space, and quote, And this was a very significant report. As you likely know, the biggest obstacle to the commander's next stadium being on the RFK Stadium site has been that the federal government, not the city of D.C., owns the RFK Stadium site. Well, Charles Allen is a Ward 6 member of the Council of the District of Columbia, the D.C. City Council. Allen on Thursday morning led a majority of the D.C. Council in sending a letter to Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton of D.C. thanking and supporting her work to bring the RFK Stadium site under D.C. control, but also saying that they would not support an NFL stadium as part of the future of the RFK Stadium site. Read the letter in part, quote, We all hope that the Washington Commanders can address its ownership's many off-the-field failures, in particular its failure to provide a safe working environment for women and, secondarily, can return to its former glory on the field. However, we believe that this riverfront property, one of the last large undeveloped parcels of land in the district, must be utilized in the best interest of district residents. Study after study have shown that there is no economic benefit to cities that subsidize professional football stadiums and the attendant vast parking lots for use eight to ten times per year. The district already has many concert venues that attract the biggest stars and can host marquee events. That is to say, citing a stadium at the current RFK site is not the best use of this opportunity or this land, and we all know that no matter what promises the commanders make about their willingness to pay for a stadium, district taxpayers will end up footing the bill for any number of costs. End quote. Uh, That was quite a letter uh, that was put out there. Now, this letter by no means officially ends the chance of the commanders' next stadium being on the RFK stadium site. I mean, you always have the chance for politicians to be voted out of office, but what this letter does do is further cement the difficulty of the commanders ultimately building their next stadium on the RFK stadium site. Nothing has ever been easy about D.C. and the commander stadium search, you know, from the federal government owning the RFK stadium land to so many D.C. politicians and D.C. citizens being against the new stadium being in D.C., 
to so many D.C. politicians having been anti the name Redskins, to the lack of any other apparent viable sites in D.C. for a commander stadium. It's just that nothing has ever been easy about D.C. in this commander stadium search. And now things are even more difficult, if not all but done. So we had that on Thursday morning, and we on Thursday morning also learned that a Virginia stadium funding plan for the commanders has been officially pulled from consideration in the Virginia legislature. So we on Thursday morning had a D.C. whammy and a Virginia whammy, a double whammy Thursday morning for the commanders in their stadium situation. Uh, We've been talking, of course, about this Virginia stadium funding plan for the commanders for a while. Uh, The stadium bill would have used tax breaks to help pay for a stadium. Uh, The bill would have created a Virginia stadium authority made up of nine members who would have overseen the financing for the construction project. The group would have been, quote, authorized to hire independent contractors, enter contracts, acquire property, borrow money, and exercise other similar powers, end quote. But what a fall for the commander stadium search in Virginia. Take a step back and consider what has happened here. The stadium funding plan for the commanders being officially pulled from consideration in the Virginia legislature is the culmination of a drastic and I would say pretty rapid decline in support in Virginia to help pay for a new commander stadium in Virginia. We went from Virginia potentially giving the commanders a billion dollars in tax relief to that figure being reduced to $350 million, due in no small part to Virginia realizing that it was bidding against itself, to support for a Virginia stadium funding plan for the commanders waning to where a vote was put on hold, to now the plan officially being pulled from consideration in the Virginia legislature. Now, this doesn't mean that there is no chance of the commander's next stadium being in Virginia, but if Dan Snyder wants Virginia money to help pay for a commander's stadium, Uh, then no doubt what has happened here is a major blow. And maybe something gets passed next year, but you obviously cannot be counting on that. Uh, Now, the commanders on Thursday did put out a statement, quote, we greatly appreciate the time and effort of bipartisan leaders throughout the Virginia General Assembly in crafting legislation to establish a football stadium authority. Given the complexity of this endeavor, coupled with the remarkable economic development opportunity that we believe our new venue project represents, we support the decision of stakeholders in the House of Delegates and the State Senate to more deeply examine this issue. We look forward to continued engagement and open dialogue with stakeholders across the Commonwealth to share our vision and hear directly from communities on their economic development objectives and how we can be a trusted, reliable partner to realize those outcomes, end quote. Uh, I did like that statement from the commanders. I'm assuming that that was from team president Jason Wright. That read like something that Jason Wright would write. Uh, That was a smart, well-crafted, take the high road kind of a statement, which is exactly the kind of statement that the commanders should have issued. Now, it's hard to ignore the timing of what happened on Thursday morning with D.C. and Virginia, right? What happened happened just a day after the dust-up comments from Commander's Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning. Uh, The dust-up comments, of course, about January 6, 2021. There's no doubt that those comments angered a lot of people. I mean, we had Virginia State Senator Jeremy McPike on Wednesday afternoon tweeting the following, quote, just sealed the deal to cast my vote as a no 
I think <laughs> what's burning down today is the stadium bill. End quote. Uh, the burning down phrase, a reference to Jack Del Rio having not been happy about the rioting and looting in the summer of 2020. Now, I do think that the Jack Del Rio situation was more the cherry on top of the Sunday than the actual Sunday. I think that the die already was cast regarding the Virginia Stadium funding plan for the commanders and also D.C. City Council support for the commanders new stadium being on the RFK Stadium site. Like I said, the Jack Del Rio situation did not help matters at all. But I think what happened on Thursday morning would have ended up happening anyway. Uh, Maybe not on Thursday morning, that's hard to say, but we were certainly headed down the path uh, that we ended up being headed down. The Jack Del Rio comments to me are a convenient thing to point at, and like I said, they certainly did not help, especially given that so many of these politicians are Democrats, but we were already steamrolling toward where we wound up. So at least for now, the commanders in their stadium search are left with Maryland. Uh, which has said that it will not help to pay for a commander stadium, would help to pay for the surrounding area for a new commander stadium, but will not help to pay for the actual stadium. I mean, the commanders could just strike a deal with Maryland, uh, including just building a new stadium on the FedEx field land, which the team already owns. Uh, The commanders also could just pay for the new stadium themselves, all right? I mean, as far as I know, there's nothing preventing the commanders from buying land in Virginia and just paying for a new stadium themselves. But of course, Dan Snyder doesn't want to do that. I mean, this new commander stadium and surrounding area is expected to cost in the neighborhood of $3 billion, maybe even more than that. And so at this point, the play for Dan to me is to walk away from the stadium search and revisit it down the road. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if people in Dan's camp, including Jason Wright, are advising Dan to do this, but that Dan, because of how he is, doesn't want to do this. But like I indicated at the beginning of this segment, uh, Dan may not have a choice right now. Up next, more on the Commanders. So when Jack Del Rio did his press conference on Wednesday morning, he did more than just talk about his politics. He also did talk about the commander's defense. And he actually said some notable things about the commander's defense, including the rise of Benjamin St. Juice as the commander's potential, if not likely, top nickel corner for this coming season. Uh, I'll talk about that and a lot more straight ahead. Well, as we all know, uh, buying food isn't nearly as fun as eating food. However, HelloFresh makes buying food easy and affordable and makes eating food even more enjoyable. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost with inflation. And try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh, and we love it. Uh, We've had a number of HelloFresh meals. The 
sweet chili pork and cabbage stir fry, the Monterey Jack unfried chicken, the pub style shepherd's pie, the saucy pork burrito bowls, the Italian chicken, the Southwest beef with pasta. I could go on and on. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. Heck, even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh. Usually, if it's not a peanut butter sandwich, he's not interested. But he likes HelloFresh, and I think that you will too. Also, HelloFresh has a great app, and you, with the app, can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So, as you may have heard, uh, Commander's Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio at his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning said some things that got some attention. Uh, The thing is, that press conference lasted for nearly 12 minutes, and in between all of the stuff about his politics was actually some really interesting stuff about the commander's defense. Now, I'm not sure that there was an extreme appetite on Thursday's show, episode 332, for the football stuff from Jack. However, uh, I do sense, and I know that I do have the appetite on this Friday show, episode 333, for the football stuff from Jack. The most interesting football thing to me from Jack on Wednesday morning was what he said about Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, We knew that St. Juice had been practicing some at inside corner, you know, at slot corner, at nickel corner. What now appears to be the case is that he may well be the leading contender to be the commander's top nickel corner this coming season. Uh, What now appears to be the case is that the commanders at slot corner, likey the juice. You like it, the juice, eh? <laughs> yeah, still. the juice is good, eh? Yes, you likey the juice. You likey Benjamin St. Juice as the leading contender to be the commander's top nickel corner this coming season. So Washington took Benjamin St. Juice in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Minnesota. He, in his 2021 rookie regular season, played in just nine of Washington's 17 games due to significant concussion issues. Uh, His play over his nine regular season games last season was mixed, but what's especially notable about St. Jude's practicing at nickel corner is that A, he is a bigger corner, and B, his experience as a corner is mostly as an outside corner. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice is listed by the commanders as being 6'3 and 200 pounds. Uh, That's big for a corner, period. That's really big for a nickel corner. And St. Juice in his collegiate career was almost exclusively a boundary corner, an outside corner. Uh, St. Juice began his collegiate career in Michigan, then transferred to Minnesota. Uh, St. Juice in his collegiate career for Pro Football Focus had just seven snaps in the slot versus 740 snaps out wide. So this is a surprising development. Benjamin St. Juice emerging as seemingly 
the commander's top candidate to be their top nickel corner for this coming season. Uh, This was Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on what has stood out about Benjamin St. Juice practicing as an inside corner. Just the work he's putting in. You know, the attention to detail, the, the understanding, uh, picking, picking up a new position. We played him outside primarily last year. He's, he's been able to move inside, and, um, and we're just looking to get our best people on the field, give them all a chance to compete. I think when you look at the work, the body of work that he's had this offseason has been, has been very productive for us um, and very productive for him, you know. All right, so Washington's primary nickel corners last season were Kendall Fuller and then Danny Johnson. Uh, Fuller played more on the outside as last season went on. The general feeling was that Fuller was better on the outside, but it's worth noting that Fuller's numbers as a slot corner for Pro Football Focus last season were good. And it may well be that this narrative that he struggled in the slot last season is overblown. Uh, Out of all NFL corners in the 2021 regular season who each played at least 100 snaps in the slot, Fuller for PFF was number two in passer rating allowed at 68. That's outstanding. Uh, Now, Danny Johnson ended up playing a good bit as the 2021 regular season went on. Uh, Washington last August 31st released Johnson in the cut down to 53, but the team on September 1st assigned Johnson to its practice squad. Washington last October 5th signed Johnson from the practice squad to the active roster. He had not played on a defensive snap for Washington in a non-preseason game since December 22nd, 2019, but Johnson started playing quite a bit on defense beginning with the loss at the Green Bay Packers in week seven of last season. And Johnson's playing time percentages over Washington's final 11 games in the 2021 regular season were significant. Uh, 61%, 23%, 31%, 27%, 49%, 54%, 63%, 66%, 100%, and 42%. So game in, game out, Danny Johnson was playing a good bit in a lot of his snaps were in the slot. And note that the commanders this offseason have re-signed Danny Johnson as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Kendall Fuller is listed by the commanders as being 5'11". Danny Johnson is listed by the commanders as being 5'9". Again, Benjamin St. Juice is listed by the commanders as being 6'3". He would be a behemoth as a nickel corner. Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on St. Juice being especially big for an inside corner. Yeah, for sure. No, his his length, he's got incredible quickness. Um, so you worry about longer guys that typically don't have short area quickness. He's got amazing short area quickness and body control. So with a bigger, longer guy inside, it uh, it, it it definitely allows us, uh, allows him to be disruptive, allows us to play uh, at a high level. So it's uh, he's been he's been really impressive inside. So as Jack Del Rio said, the concern with a bigger corner as your slot corner is that short area quickness. Does Benjamin St. Juice have the requisite short area quickness to adequately cover speedy and shifty slot receivers? Well, Jack seems to think that the answer is yes. Uh, Who the commander's primary nickel corner for this coming season is matters a lot. As most people know by now, nickel is the new base defense in the NFL. Every team has at least five defensive backs on the field for the majority of defensive snaps. And so you need at least three starting caliber corners, not two. One of my biggest concerns with the commanders right now is the lack of depth at corner. 
Uh, I don't know how you feel great about the depth at corner for this team. The top three corners as things stand right now are Kendall Fuller, William Jackson III, and Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, the number four corner is who exactly? Danny Johnson? Corn Elder? Christian Holmes, who the team took in the seventh round of the 2022 NFL Draft. I mean, Bobby McCain has played some as a nickel corner in the past, but he obviously seems set to be the commander's number one free safety for a second straight season. Uh, Remember, the commanders re-signed Bobby McCain uh, this offseason as an unrestricted free agent. But what if Fuller and or Jackson and or St. Juice get injured this coming season? Then what? You know, you could argue that corner right now in the NFL matters more than edge defender, at which, by the way, the commanders aren't exactly oozing with depth either. So this lack of depth, or at least apparent lack of depth, uh, is something to be thinking about. And it is a function, at least in part, of the commanders having done very little on defense this offseason. It's funny when you think about it. You could argue that the single most disappointing offense or defense in the NFL last season was Washington's defense. Like, I don't think that I'm being overly dramatic in saying that. And yet, the commanders this offseason have done very little in the way of significant defensive acquisitions. Uh, The commanders have signed unrestricted free agent edge defender F.A. Obata. The commanders have taken interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis in the second round of the 2022 draft and have taken safety Percy Butler in the fourth round of the 2022 draft. And that's about it in terms of significant defensive acquisitions for the commanders this offseason. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I don't think that talent was the primary problem for Washington's defense last season. I think that the performance of the talent and the deployment of the talent were the primary problems for Washington's defense last season. Sometimes in sports, the best thing that a team can do is do nothing. You know, don't overreact. Don't make a bunch of changes. Just correct some things internally, generate improvement from within, and run it back. And I do think that it's possible that that approach is the correct approach for the commander's defense this coming season. We'll see. Uh, This was Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on the commanders having not done much in terms of significant defensive acquisitions this offseason, and whether that's an indication that the team liked what it had. Well, I think, you know, we feel like if we get healthy and um, and, and then... And then we've added a couple pieces. Big Phil, you know, inside has been has been really good. Uh, and, and then guys developing. You know, guys like Jamin, guys like Benjamin. They they need to develop and play better. Um, and they will. And uh, and we're seeing that. So, and then you know you you, you add in a couple draft picks. You know, uh, I said Big Phil, and you got Percy, uh, Christian late. Uh, so we've got a couple guys there that uh, that come in and add some to our depth, and and then we'll see what they earn. But um, you know, we like the core that we have. We think we have a good core when we're healthy, and uh, so staying healthy obviously is key for for everybody. You know, the Rams are a different team if Aaron Donald gets hurt, right? I mean, it's, you know, you, good player. You need your good players healthy and, and at the gate. And so, um, but but having them here and us working together and uh, developing like we are right now, I think, is very encouraging. Well, you heard Jack Del Rio mention the defense getting healthy. You know, the injury excuse for Washington's defense being a disappointment last season only goes so far. Uh, Yes, the team's top two edge defenders, Chase Young 
and Montez Sweat did miss a good bit of time. But also, yes, Washington's defense played its best football in the 2021 regular season while Montez Sweat and Chase Young were out. Washington's defense played really well during a five-game stretch, weeks 10 through 14. That five-game stretch included a four-game winning streak. Montez Sweat missed all of those games. Chase Young missed all but about a half of one of those games. He suffered a season-ending torn right ACL in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. Uh, As for Chase Young, uh, Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on what he wants from Chase in his third NFL season. Well, mainly get healthy, you know, work hard. He's doing that. Uh, He's putting in the work and um, get himself back. And then right now for him, it's important to kind of some of the things we're talking about, you know, understand exactly the things we're asking him to do, have a great uh, a, a great feel for you know where he can make his plays and um, and where he can be a difference maker for us. Obviously, he's a great leader, so you have to be here to lead. And uh, so I'm, I'm you know love seeing him here. It's voluntary; doesn't have to be here right now. So I I love seeing him here, and I think it's good for us as a team. All right. So let's just bottom line this: What is going to happen with the Commanders' defense this coming season? Remember, the pass defense was the problem for Washington last season not the run defense. Like if we're being specific, the problem with Washington's defense last season was the pass defense, not the run defense. Uh, Washington finished the 2021 regular season just 28th out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. But Washington also finished the 2021 regular season 7th in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. So the pass defense was the thing. The pass defense was especially bad during Washington's 2-6 and six start to last regular season. Jack Del Rio on Wednesday morning on his defense hopefully being better this coming season as compared to how the defense was last season. Well, we hope, we hope to be better, right? Um, you know, clearly uh, uh, it starts with a commitment to being here and, uh, and, and working and being able to get on the same page, make sure the communication is, is good. I think that, that kind of you know, gives you a great start, a great foundation. So, you know, right now we're getting a lot of great work in. Um, there are guys that are developing. Uh, I would I would single out, you know, Benjamin St. Juice is really having a terrific offseason and uh, excited about what he's doing in there. He's getting a lot of reps at nickel. He's played well there. And um, so uh, I think that's a real positive for us. So it's development. You know, this time of year you can develop and, and gain a great understanding of how we all fit together. And defensively, that's what it's all about, you know, kind of knowing where you need to go and everybody being accountable and getting there and, and uh, playing with some, some, uh, some attitude. And of course, you heard Jack Del Rio there mention that name again, Benjamin St. Juice. Very notable that Jack made it a point to single out St. Juice like that. Jack Likey the Juice. You like the juice, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know. the juice is good, eh? <laughs> yes, you likey the juice. Hopefully, we will all be liking the juice this coming season. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. Steven Strasburg is back. The results, though, were at best mixed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So the Nationals team for which Steven Strasburg started on Thursday night, it was very different uh, from the Nats team for which Strasburg had last pitched at the major league level. Strasburg on Thursday night started a major league game for the first time since June 1st, 2021. He last July 28th underwent season-ending surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS. Uh, The Nats, since June 1st, 2021, have undergone a major transformation, right? Uh, including that massive sell-off last July 30th and 31st. Uh, it is notable, right, that Strasburg underwent the surgery for TOS last July 28th, and just a few days later, the Nats pulled the trigger on one of the most aggressive in-season fire sales in Major League history. I don't think that that's a coincidence. I'm not saying that the Nats weren't already very much trending uh, toward engaging in the fire sale prior to Strasburg undergoing that surgery, but I think that the timing uh, is worth remembering. Strasburg undergoes the surgery on July 28th, and two days later, the fire sale was on from the Nats. Uh, well, the Nats now, of course, are a rebuilding team, even though the president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo does not like to use the word rebuild. Uh, the Nats on Thursday night lost again, a 7-4 loss at the Miami Marlins to complete a three-game sweep. Uh, the Nats have the second-worst record in the National League at 21-38. and But what mattered the most from this game was the performance of Steven Strasburg. Uh, thoracic outlet syndrome is a super serious pitching injury. When I first heard that Strasburg had this, I said to myself, that's it. The Steven Strasburg who we came to know, the Steven Strasburg who won World Series MVP in 2019 is done. Uh, Maybe he'll pitch in the majors again, but we'll never again see the Strasburg who we saw in 2019. Well, the comeback on Thursday night reached him finally starting a major league game again. Uh, The results were not good, but honestly, what matters more than the results is that he makes his next start. And then the start after that 
and then the start after that. I mean, to me, in a lot of ways, what the rest of this 2022 season is about for Steven Strasburg is just staying healthy and proving that he can pitch again, and then we can focus more on how he is pitching. Now, you obviously want him to pitch well, but just him pitching at all is a victory at this point. You know, you start with whether he can actually stay healthy, and then you concern yourself with, okay, can he pitch well? But there's no doubt each remains a major question. Can he actually stay healthy, and can he pitch well? Uh, Strasburg on Thursday night in his 2022 Major League debut allowed seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. Like I said, the results were not good. Uh, He gave up eight hits, a homer, three doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks, a hit-by-pitch, and a wild pitch. Uh, He did record five strikeouts. That was good. He threw 83 pitches, 53 strikes, versus 30 balls. What concerned me more than anything was his velocity. Uh, It was not good. Uh, His four-seam fastball was ranging in like the 90-mile-per-hour and 91-mile-per-hour area. Uh, Strasburg, prior to his thoracic outlet syndrome, was throwing like 92 to 94. His velocity, if in fact it is now down multiple miles per hour, uh, that is concerning, okay? That is really concerning. Now, this is one start, so I don't want to sound the alarm bells just yet. Let's see where the velocity is at in start two and start three and start four. And, you know, ultimately, velocity is important, but it does come down to getting outs. So if he is getting outs without velocity, okay, but it is hard to get outs if your four-seam fastball is only hitting 90-91, okay? Uh, if you are an Orioles fan or at least are familiar with the O's, we call that Chris Tillman territory. And uh, it did not end well for old Tilly with the O's a few years ago. Uh, so Strasburg on Thursday night, bottom of the first, allowed three runs. Uh, you hated to see his outing get off to this kind of a start. Three-run first inning for the Marlins. Uh, Strasburg gave up a leadoff first pitch, bunt single, to Jazz Chisholm Jr. toward third base. Strasburg issued a two-out, six-pitch walk of Avi Sayil Garcia. Strasburg gave up a two-out RBI double to Jesus Sanchez through the right side of the infield for a one nothing Marlins lead. Uh, Strasburg gave up a two-out, two-run single to John Birdie to center field for a 3 nothing Marlins lead. Now, Strasburg did then toss scoreless second, third, and fourth innings. You love seeing that. He actually struck out the side in a perfect bottom of the second. You love seeing that. But Strasburg then, in the bottom of the fifth, allowed four runs. Uh, Strasburg gave up a one-out first pitch, bun single to Jazz Chisholm Jr. Strasburg gave up a one-out RBI double to Garrett Cooper of third baseman Michael Franco and into left field for a 4-2 Marlins lead. Strasburg issued a one-out wild pitch. Strasburg gave up a one-out RBI single to Jesus Aguilar to center field for a 5-2 Marlins lead, despite Aguilar having been down in the count at 1.02. Strasburg gave up a one-out double to Avi Sayil Garcia off the left center field warning track, though Aguilar was thrown out at home plate uh, via center fielder Victor Robles throwing the ball to shortstop Luis Garcia, who then threw the ball to catcher Riley Adams. Uh, But then came the big blow. Strasburg gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Jesus Sanchez to right field for a 7-2 Marlins lead, despite Sanchez having been down in the count at 1.12. And this was some shot by Sanchez. The homer winner projected 417 feet for StatCast. And then that was it. Strasburg got pulled from the game. So a lot of this outing from Strasburg is how you want to perceive it. Like I said, 
The results were not good. The velocity was not good. Those two things are a big deal. But just the fact that he was out there pitching matters. Uh, he did feel well after the game. If he feels well on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, then that honestly matters probably more than anything, just that he can actually make his next start. And he did have five strikeouts on Thursday night, so that's not nothing. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday night on Steven Strasburg. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be outcome biased right now, but I thought um, he was, he looked good. He really did. And, um, you know, I, I told, you know, I told him after the game, you know, we talked for a minute. He said he felt good. Um, you know, you know he, he missed some location uh, at some pitches, but he, f- he felt good. You know, we were, we were looking at his mechanics. His mechanics was good. He, he didn't throw the, you know, 93s, 94s, but at the, his fastball had a little bit of oomph at the end of it. So, I mean, whether it cut, whether, it's, whether he, was, he was throwing two seamers, it, it was late, late, late action. So that, that was good. So, um, you know, now it's just a matter of getting him back out there uh, every five days and get, getting him going. You know, I, I told him, you know, I think the, the velo will come, you know, as, we, as you keep going out there and you keep progressing. But um, for me, I thought he looked good and I thought he threw the ball well. So um, I think it's just now just getting him back out there, getting him comfortable again, you know, up here in the major leagues uh, and, and getting him out there and getting some repetitions. But um, it was good to see him. It really was good to see him out there again competing. Yes, uh, it was good to see Steven Strasburg pitching again for the Nats at the major league level. Uh, As for the Nats offense on Thursday night, so no Nelson Cruz. Uh, He was a late scratch due to back tightness. And so we had an unusual Nats lineup. And the lineup included, bizarrely, in my opinion anyway, A. Ray Adrianza batting second. Uh, I did not get this at all. The number two batter in your lineup should be one of your best hitters, if not your best hitter. A lot of major league teams now bat their best batters in number two spots. The Nats on Thursday night batted A-Ray Adrianza in the number two spot. Uh, Understand who A-Ray Adrianza is. The Nats signed A-Ray Adrianza as a free agent this past March. Uh, This season is his age 32 season. He just came off the 60-day injured list, uh, which he had been on the entirety of the regular season due to a quadriceps injury. Um, This was just his second start of the season on Thursday night, and he is not known at all to be a good batter. Now, his biggest strength is his defensive versatility, and Ere Adrianza, to his credit, in just this series, played left field for the Nats, played third base for the Nats, and played second base for the Nats. So that is impressive, but hitting ain't his thing, okay? A-Ray Adrianza came to the Nats having totaled an OPS plus of just 84 over 1,429 career Major League regular season plate appearances. OPS plus is OPS that's adjusted for a player's home ballpark and league. 100 is average. Below 100 is below average. A-Ray Adrianza's career OPS plus coming into this season was 84. And yet that guy batted second for the Nats on Thursday night. And what happened? with A. Ray Adrianza on Thursday night as an ad starting second baseman. He went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and left five men on base. Cesar Hernandez on Thursday got his first day off in terms of a day on which the Nats were playing a game this season. A. Ray Adrianza batted second inexplicably and not surprisingly went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and left five men on base. I was not a fan 
of Davey Martinez having a Ray Adrianza bat second on Thursday night. And look, I know the Nats are a rebuilding team. Who cares who bats where? <laughs> I understand that. But if you're actually trying to win the game, I don't see why you have a Ray Adrianza bat second. Put Luis Garcia second. Put Juan Soto second and move Josh Bell up to third. There are a lot of ways that Davey could have navigated this. Uh, the Nats on Thursday night, four runs. Uh, did have nine hits, but eight of the nine hits were singles. Uh, the Nats had a double and eight singles. Uh, the Nats worked three walks, went two for eight with runners in scoring position. Juan Soto had the biggest hit of the game for the Nats. Uh, Soto as the Nats starting right fielder and number three batter. Only went one for five, but the one was a big two-run single. Uh, Soto in the Nats, two-run fifth, a two-out, full count, bases loaded, opposite field, two-run single to left field to conclude an eight-pitch plate appearance and cut the Nats' deficit to 3-2. Soto had just two hits the entire series, but that was an impressive hit that he had in that Nats two-run fifth. Uh, Two Nats on Thursday night each got on base three times, Josh Bell and Lane Thomas. Uh, Bell as an Nats starting first baseman and number four batter, two for three with two opposite field singles and a walk. Uh, Bell in the top of the first had a two-out first pitch, opposite field single to right center field, and Bell in the top of the fourth had a one-out opposite field single to right field, and then Bell in the top of the seventh drew a two-out five-pitch walk. And then Lane Thomas on Thursday night was an ad-starting left fielder and number one batter, two for four with an RBI double, a single and a walk. Uh, Thomas in the top of the first had a leadoff single up the middle. Thomas in the Nats two-run fifth drew a one-out five-pitch walk. And Thomas in the Nats two-run seventh had an opposite field RBI double to right field on a one-two pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 7-4. Two runs scored on the play. Uh, One run scored thanks to a throwing error by Marlins right fielder, Avisail Garcia. Uh, Riley Adams had two singles on Thursday night. Interesting, by the way, that Adams and not Kbert Ruiz was the Nats starting catcher on Thursday night for Steven Strasburg. Uh, Adams was the Nats number eight batter. He went two for four with two singles. If you're curious about Luis Garcia, uh, he on Thursday night as the Nats starting shortstop and number eight batter 0 for three with a walk and two strikeouts. And Yadiel Hernandez, he on Thursday night was an ad-starting DH and number six batter. He went 0 for 4. Uh, Yadiel's OPS for the season now is at 7-11. It was at 8-22 through May 28th. Uh, Yadiel really has slumped over these last few weeks. Uh, the Nats' bullpen on Thursday night was good. Three Nats relievers combined for three and a third scoreless innings. Erasmo Ramirez tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Jordan Weems tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh, though he did give up a single a walk and did issue a wild pitch. And Paolo Espino at it again. Uh, Paolo on Thursday night, a perfect bottom of the eighth, lowering his ERA for the season to 203. My friends, we are nearing Paolo Espino having a sub two ERA this season. He has been really good. Davey Martinez only uses Paolo Espino in super low leverage spots. I really wish that we would see Paolo in some bigger spots. He has gotten outs. Like all he has done this season is get outs, and he got three more outs in a perfect bottom of the eighth on Thursday night. Next up for the Nats, an 11 game homestand, uh, which begins with a three game series against the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park. Game one, Friday night at 7.05. Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35. The Nats have not yet named a starting pitcher for this game. Indications are that pitcher likely will be Evan Lee. 
uh, although Paolo Espino is a possibility. Well, time now to talk Orioles. And before we talk about what happened in their game on Thursday night, we have to discuss what happened on Thursday. One Angelos brother filing a lawsuit against another Angelos brother. What is going on in the Orioles' ownership right now is unbelievable here. What a mess. One Angelos brother is suing the other Angelos brother. Yes, a family feud with the Angeloses. Uh, so the Orioles ownership group includes Peter Angelos and his two sons, Louis and John Angelos. Uh, Peter has been in failing health for years. Running the franchise have been the two Angelos sons, Louis and John. The rumor for years has been that when Peter dies, the Angelos brothers will sell the O's. We'll see if that happens. Well, Lewis now is suing John and their mother, Georgia. Uh, I read to you from Sports Business Insider, A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports. Quote, Lewis Angelos alleged in the civil complaint that his brother, John, manipulated their mother, Georgia, to seize control of the team as the family patriarch, longtime Orioles owner Peter Angelos, was left disabled after an aortic valve failure in 2017. The attorneys for Louis Angelos asked a Maryland court for an injunction to restrain Louis's brother and mother from selling either the Orioles or Masson, the regional sports network controlled by the Orioles. The lawsuit also seeks the removal of Louis's brother as co-trustee and Peter Angelos, a co-agent of the trust that went into effect in 2017. If Mr. Angelos could speak to this situation, he would vociferously reject any effort by an adult child presuming to override his will. Mr. Angelos's infirmity requires this court to act where he cannot, the lawyers wrote in the lawsuit. End quote. Uh, more on the situation from thebaltimorebanner.com. Quote, the suit says a top priority of Angelos's wife, Georgia, 80, has been to sell the team, and an advisor went about trying to negotiate a sale in 2020. Louis Angelos says John Angelos nixed the deal. It also claims that John Angelos forced out former star center fielder and Orioles Hall of Famer Brady Anderson from his front office role because he presented a threat. John unilaterally and without consultation ordered general manager Michael Elias to fire Anderson the lawsuit says. In addition, the lawsuit alleges John fired longtime employees who would not play ball and surrounded himself with yes-men. The lawsuit reveals a rift between Peter and John Angelos, with John openly displaying his disregard for his father's prerogatives as the managing partner of the team. There was also bitter, regular conflict over John's failure to pass the bar. <laughs> after attending law school, end quote. What a mess! What a completely messed up situation between Lewis and John Angelos and apparently Peter Angelos back in the day and also Mama Angelos, Georgia Angelos. Uh, look, I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. I don't really care, to be honest with you. I want the Angeloses to no longer 
be the owners of the Orioles, okay? This is not unlike a Commander's Dan Snyder situation, okay? It is time for Dan to go. Whether he ends up going, who the heck knows? But it is time for Dan to go. It has been time for Dan to go for a while. And it is time for the Angeloses to go. It has been time for the Angeloses to go for a while. Uh, But this is wild, what has developed here uh, within the Angelos family. And think about this, man. The Nationals being sold by the Learners, the Orioles, in theory, eventually to be sold by the Angeloses. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Commanders, but, you know, if they ever get put up for sale, you could have three major regional teams up for sale at the same time. And at the very least, it looks like we will be having both area baseball teams up for sale. Now, will they be up for sale simultaneously? Hard to say, but that's crazy to me. The learners already are selling the Nats. Uh, The Angelos family seems to be inching closer to selling the Orioles. I mean, it feels like that's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. But man, what a whacked out situation within the Angelos family. Uh, In the meantime, uh, we had baseball on Thursday night, uh, and the O's lost uh, a 7-5 loss at the Kansas City Royals in Game 1 of a four-game series. The O's this season now are 24-34. and Uh, To me, the biggest item from Thursday night's Orioles loss at the Royals was Jordan Lyles struggling again. Uh, This now is three consecutive starts for Lyles in which he has not been good. Lyles on Thursday night, six runs in five innings. He gave up eight hits, two homers, two doubles, and four singles. Lyles now has allowed 26 hits over his last three games. He also on Thursday night issued three walks. He recorded just one strikeout. He over his five innings threw 96 pitches. And Jordan Lyles now, for all of the good that he had been doing, has an ERA of nearly five. Uh, Jordan Lyles over 12 starts this season has an ERA of 497. Uh, His numbers have really just plummeted over his last three starts. Now, look, he can bounce back from this, but the Jordan Lyles who we had been seeing, we have not been seeing here in recent weeks. I mean, Jordan Lyles as recently as a 3-2 loss to the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on May 18th was terrific. Three runs, two earned in seven innings, eight strikeouts versus no walks. But Lyles uh, since then, 6-4 win at the New York Yankees on May 23rd, four runs, three earned in six and two-thirds innings. Uh, okay, I mean, that's not terrible or anything like that. And he did have eight strikeouts in that game. But Lyles in a 5-3 loss at the Boston Red Sox on May 28th in game one of a doubleheader, three runs in four and a third innings. He, in that game, gave up an astounding nine hits. Uh, Lyles in a 7-6, 10-inning loss to the Seattle Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on June 2nd. Five runs, four earned in five innings. And now we have what we had on Thursday night. Uh, Look, Jordan Lyles has not been a very good pitcher in his major league career. The O's are Lyles' seventh major league team. Uh, Lyles signed with the O's as a free agent in March of having pitched for the Texas Rangers the previous two seasons, 2020 and 2021. And Lyles, over those two seasons, had an ERA of 560. Uh, Well, his ERA for this season now is nearly five at 497. Uh, The O's did hit on Thursday night, 10 hits, six walks, uh, four for 10 with runners in scoring position. Cedric Mullins is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, two for five with an RBI double and another double. Austin Hayes as the Orioles starting right fielder and number three batter, two for five 
with an RBI single and another single. Uh, by the way, Spencer Watkins has been activated. Uh, the O's on Wednesday afternoon reinstated starting pitcher Spencer Watkins from the 15-day injured list, but optioned him to AAA Norfolk. Uh, so we'll see if he gets called back up here shortly or if he's just going to be pitching in the minors here for a bit. Uh, the O's had placed Watkins on the 15-day IL on May 23rd with a right elbow contusion. Three more games for the O's at the Royals in this four-game series. Game two Friday night at 8-10. Bruce Zimmerman will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And Zimmerman, like Jordan Lyles, really has been struggling lately. Uh, game three, Saturday afternoon at 4-10. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game four, Sunday afternoon at 2-10. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The weekend, always a good time to catch up on anything that you may have missed. I, on last Friday's show, episode 328, spoke with NFL analyst and Commanders fan Samuel Gold. He provided an excellent film breakdown of Carson Wentz's final two games with the Indianapolis Colts last season, the two games that perhaps more than anything led to the Colts trading him this offseason and, of course, trading him to the Commanders. On Monday's show, episode 329, Talk Commanders with a really smart Commanders fan, the mysterious Kyle Smith for GM, a writer for Hogs Haven. On Tuesday's show, episode 330, went in-depth on a lengthy piece by NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB on Carson Wentz attempting to make the most of his opportunity with the Commanders. And I, on Wednesday's show, episode 331, discussed how Carson Wentz was an elite deep passer in the 2021 season and spoke with Connor McQuiston of Pro Football Focus on his advanced statistical ranking of NFL head coaches, including Ron Rivera, and on how much speed truly matters for receivers. Uh, this Monday's show, episode 334, will of course feature plenty on the Commanders. I'll talk Nationals and Orioles as well. The Nats this weekend will play a three-game series against the National League Central-leading Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park. The O's this weekend will play the final three games of a four-game series at the Kansas City Royals. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. You like it, the juice, eh? <laughs> Yeah, I see. The juice is good, eh?